the only thing that you spend days, months, years, decades building and can lose in seconds is your integrity. And your integrity is everything. So how do you protect that at all costs? Regardless of your position or field of work, we can recognize integrity. Integrity is the glue that holds our character together and gives it strength. It lies below the surface of our public persona of leadership. Today, we have an eye-opening discussion about the importance of integrity in life and in leadership. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same. Cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Well, we're glad you're here with us. We're in our sixth season here at the Thought Factory, Jason. It's been an awesome wild ride. Our listenership continues to grow. We're glad you're listening to us right now today. We are very thankful that you are one of those listeners that choose to tune in and listen and follow along as we just talk about different topics, the multitude of ideas and thoughts that could possibly hit your eardrums. Last episode, if you haven't listened to that, we had an incredible two-part conversation with our good friend Chris McKenna, talking about the digital world and students and some some very insightful things for me personally as a parent, but as youth workers, as people hanging out, dealing with students today, it was very, very insightful. He took on a tech industry giant, Snapchat, and really used his voice to confront Snapchat and, and made them change something about them, which is incredible. You have to listen to that episode. Yeah, that story in the last episode of him taking on Snapchat is pretty cool. So and today we have a very, very exclusive interview with a really close friend of ours, both Jeff and I. As a personal friend, some of you, when we say the name Steve Carter, you know who we're talking about. Some of you don't. We want to give a little bit of a preface to this conversation today because this conversation is very different. Steve just went through a very public situation as a member of the staff and leadership team of Willow Creek Church in the suburban Chicago area. And Steve was a very prominent and public figure as the lead teaching pastor. He he became one of the top two leaders there of the church and the congregation in a in a leadership transition from their founding pastor, Bill Hybels. And and Steve agreed to to meet with us, to sit down with us, and to, to talk about his story. And Jason and I wanted to, before we get into that interview, give you guys a little bit of insight of what this conversation, how we approached it, and what some of the parameters were, and some of the things that we wanted to surface in this conversation with Steve. I believe some people may see this interview and expect us to be TMZ and try to get the most deepest, rawest details of the situation. And if you are going to listen to this interview and expect that, that's not what happened. Really, we wanted to approach it with with grace as well and respect for Steve and the decisions that he had to make that none of us were in the room to make. So we can be critical, we can have our sides and our thoughts, but we really wanted to approach Steve as a friend and a respected minister and really hear what was some of the internal conversations that he was having in this entire process. Now, in this conversation, we could we could go into it assuming that you might 
know the context of Steve's background and the situation at Willow Creek. And like Jason said, we're not here to, to dive into all the, the details of the story. But in essence, Steve was brought on to the leadership of Willow Creek several years ago. He's going to talk about that. Became mentored by um, a legendary leader, Bill Hybels. And over the process of the last year since the spring of 2018, some information began to be revealed about some situations where abuse was happening within the leadership of Willow Creek, and that was connected to Bill Hybels himself. And Steve, um, for the sake of, of the relationships that he has and the love that he has for, for so many people there, including very close friends and people that he pastored, Steve um, is going to be really delicate about how he talks about these things, and we totally understand that. So as you go into this situation, if, if you don't know all the information in the background of Willow Creek, you can definitely feel free to look that up and to do the research on your own. But if you don't know anything about it, the context of this conversation to help you create a framework of where we're coming from is that Steve has had to lead and and be responsible to pastor through a very, very difficult uh, situation and transition in leadership at Willow Creek Community Church. All right, we've got Steve Carter with us today, and he is a dear friend of ours. He's a, f- most importantly, former youth pastor. Former, totally. Um, at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, where we yeah. are based and recording this, and uh, that's how we first met. Back in those days, we were. It was a Qdoba lunch. It was. You, you remember? You, yeah, you 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 emailed me. I was like, "Hey, you want to do some Qdoba?" And I said, "Yes." And little <laughs> little little Mexican food. Drove and, to your side of town. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I remember that. So we kind of hung out, started hanging out there, and then we've had you at NTS. You've been an incredible speaker with us, and so since then, it's formed a friendship with not just me, but all of us here, and we're. Just grateful for you, mm. man, and, and we're excited, uh, glad that you're with us. And then you joined Willow Creek. Many people listening are going to know that, but what year did you come on staff there? So um, I joined Willow the fall of 2012, so um, yeah, a little over six years ago. The year you were announced as lead teaching pastor, when was that? Lead teaching pastor, that would have been um, October 2017. That's okay. uh, was on the anniversary date, I think the 42nd anniversary. It's really interesting how you were a youth pastor and then you ascended to this prominent role just within a few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really wasn't that long mm-hmm. of an amount of time. How and why do you think that happened? Mm-hmm. Talk about that journey from going to a youth pastor to all of a sudden now you're one of the most prominent churches in the United States as a lead teaching pastor. I just began to look at the, the people that God put in my life. And I don't know of anybody, my, my friends all joke about this, like, who've been able to kind of sit at the tables um, and have some of the, these incredible mentors like I have had. And um, and really, like, my parents come to faith, you know, my mom, my, my senior year of high school, my dad, my sophomore year of college. And mm-hmm. my dad comes out of the baptism waters, and he's like, and I got to baptize him. And he comes out, and he's basically like, we got to sell everything, and let's move to Grand Rapids. And I need to restore a relationship with my folks what like we live in southern california (laughs) like we're gonna move and i was a sophomore in college i was playing basketball at cal state fullerton playing is probably not the right word i was you were on the team i got free shoes yeah free shoes (laughs) you knew where the court was yeah i traveled i got per diem i got per diem (laughs) um so uh so i i i 
just saw God at work. And so I moved and that's right when Mars Hill was getting started and I didn't know a soul. And I just was praying. And my best friend in college was like, Hey, there's this quirky guy named Rob Bell. He was my youth intern when I was a sophomore in high school. I heard he's in Grand Rapids starting a church, Mars something, go check it out. I show up and I get turned away by a fire marshal. I show up the next week, get turned away by a fire marshal. The and they were meeting at the homeschool building, which is such a funny yeah, thing that yeah. there's a homeschool and they have a building, but they, they had a building. And I literally the third week, I'm like, what is going on there? And I had to sneak in. I sneak in and I walk up to Rob and I just say, hey, uh, name my friend Tommy and said, hey. And he's like, oh, my goodness, let's talk. Let's connect. And and so I started serving um, in middle school. And it was during that time where I just realized I was a film major and felt like God was saying, hey. I want you to tell my story. And Hal had been someone who'd been pushing that, other leaders and mentors in my life. And so I bounced back to California to finish school. And Rob had gone to Turkey and Israel with Ray Vanderlaan. And Ray had said, yeah. hey, it's great that you speak to the masses, but Jesus didn't change the world by speaking to the masses. He changed the world by having disciples. So who are you pointing your life into? They didn't have an answer. And so somehow he and his wife on the flight home, my name came up and... Um, they, they called me. They just said, graduate as fast as you can. Come live in our basement. We'll teach you everything we know. And let's change the world one West Michigan at a time. Mm-hmm. And God just began to orchestrate. And through Mars Hill, that's where I met Bill. And he became a mentor. And so I just, I just felt like I just kept trying to do the next best right thing that God had put before me um, and do that well. And any big decision that came felt like bring the mentors and the voices in my life and seemed like they just would keep affirming um, the steps or where we really felt God was stirring and leading us. I'll tell you what, like 2003 to 2009, six, seven years of doing junior high ministry was some of the greatest. And from there, uh, I went to Rock Harbor and I was a teaching pastor and that's where I interned in college and worked with a guy by the name of Mike Erie, who is um, just an absolute genius he's an ohio state fan but i, I mean oh you gotta, yeah i know you got i know seriously you you're a michigan fan so yeah. i'm not holding that against oh, you either well yeah I he's mean. a state graduate so oh sorry you know it's awesome state fans always want to go to u of m but no, they can't get in, and so they go to state. Oh, no, that's, boy. that's actually not true. I never actually the... applied because oh. I never wanted to. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of grades, grades, that, that <laughs> grades, fall grades. Short. Well, Just blew that theory. Yeah, yeah. That two point eight won't get into Ann Arbor, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> that's why you went to Cal Fullerton. Yeah. Anybody gets in there, it's JC, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So and then hype was called, and that's just kind of. And he had been just a real gift at, at certain times along the way and said, hey, I got this opportunity that I feel like you would be perfect for and was to all about evangelism and teaching and uh, was a chance to learn. So I don't know how – that's a long answer. I'm sorry. But, like, I don't know how I kind of moved from X, Y, and Z. It wasn't really this thought out. It literally just felt like what's the next best right step? And kind of Acts 15 was just a big verse for – there's a verse in Acts 15 that was huge for my wife and I. It was just, it seems good to the spirit in us. And it just, this thing felt good to the spirit in us. And there were other opportunities that came that we said, no, I don't think that's the right thing. But this next step felt good to the spirit in us. I was always committed to where can I communicate? And 
that's what my mentors would always say. Like, don't worry about where it is in the stage or the platform. Teach. And Rob stressed that. He's like, you need to get your 10,000 hours in. You need to work on your craft. And, and that's the thing I just always tell communicators to this day. Like, it's not about a stage. It's about the people and it's about the craft. And so um, I just, I mean, I said yes to as many opportunities as I could. And I think those relationships opened up more doors. Um, I, I didn't go to Willow because of the size or the scale. I went because Bill was a mentor. And I, I never saw, it wasn't like in the conversation for me to kind of be a part of a succession plan. It was, it, I'd never been in a culture where leadership was prominent. And I, and I, I just felt like, man, to be around a world-class leader like Bill, this, this feels, and he's a mentor, and he's going to develop me. Man, it just, you talk to any one of my friends and mentors, they're like, you'd be dumb not to do that. Mm-hmm. So it just it just felt right. Um, so the size of it or the scale of it probably wasn't. It was more the teach well, work on your craft, go deep with Jesus, and trust that he'll take care of the rest. I think that speaks so much. Anyone listening to this that's maybe particularly on the younger end of leadership is just do what's right in front of you. Yes. Be obedient. Don't think about the future. I always think about... As a geeky Star Wars kid, you know what Yoda said to Luke Skywalker. You're always looking at the horizon, but you're not thinking right. about right now. Right, right. And being, yeah, being a, a good manager of what you have now. Yep. And some people just aren't satisfied with that. And they go, I want the bigger crowd. I want the bigger audience. I want the bigger following. Yep. And I, I definitely would affirm that as your friend that I've seen that. And when, when you not only got the role at Willow, but then were called up at Willow... I just remember thinking, knowing you, you weren't aspiring to that. You're being faithful at each place. And that's when you get caught up in the aspiration is when you you can lose sight, especially as a Christ follower, right? I mean, it becomes more than just about Jesus. It becomes about you. And I want people following me and I want the accolades. We're going to assume everyone listening to this right now knows about the events that unfolded at Willow. And so when that story broke internally, I mean, long before the public started to know, what were some of your initial responses to that? When you hear about something, you don't don't necessarily know what to think, you know? Like, you're sitting there, and, and I think part of it, I had heard about it first from my publisher. And so um, I had submitted a, a book proposal for my second book that was going to be called The Best of You. And, and, and it was all based on the relationship of Paul and Timothy from Second Timothy. And my editor calls and is like, hey, have you thought about adding another chapter? And I was like, no. I, I'm like, and then I'm like, it, did you not like it? You know, you're like, you start mm-hmm. just not having a clue of where this is going. And she's like, well... I'm like, what kind of chapter would you want to add? She's like, well, I mean, like maybe like if a, a, like what happens when someone has a leader or mentor and they fall? I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't thought about that. Okay, well, let me think about it. But my my editor is one of the strongest women I know. She is just uber clear. Like, but I felt a little peanut buttery, you know, when she was talking. And so I went to another meeting and I was just sitting in this meeting and I couldn't shake it and just had that sense like, 
she's she's holding something. So I just went back and called her and was like, hey, I've always known you to be like direct. What? I just feel like you you weren't. What? What's behind this extra chapter? And she just goes, well, you don't know? And I'm like, I know what? And she's like, you don't know why you should add another chapter? And I'm like, I am so confused right now. <laughs> and she goes, you don't know about the Chicago Tribune article. And I'm like, what? And so on my phone right now, I'm like, Chicago Tribune. Like, I'm I'm not seeing it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then that's that's how I got alerted. And then mm. I went to um, our executive pastor um, and just said, hey, I just had this conversation. And so I just didn't know what to think at that moment. Like, what? And, and, and you're going through all your, your, I don't know who the people are bringing up this story. I don't know the women. I don't, I just know my mentor. And yeah. I just know, so, so part of it was just, I think the, the shock of it. And, and so then it just kind of became the unfolding of trying to define what reality is and, um, and, and to actually learn in real time how best to respond. Did other people know when you were bringing it to them? Like, oh yeah, we've known for a while, or this is something that is private or how open to sharing to you once you presented the fact that you know something in regards to the, the article. Yeah. So, um, I think that a couple of people had known maybe two days before. I don't think there was like a, a widespread, like we know an article's coming. I think or it, somebody contacted some leadership in Willow I, and say, hey, we, we found this out. We want to write this article and then we want to get your take from it. Typically what they'll do is they'll do all of their homework and then they want to run a story and make sure that, hey, what they're, they're doing. And I, I think that the Tribune was, was working all of their um, research and um, trying to do their best before they brought it to Willow. Mm. Um, so I think I just maybe through them trying to reach out to different people, maybe that's how that rumor just started to spread. And that's kind of mm. probably how I, how I was able to get word of it. Mm. So thinking about your experience, Steve, you, you already had such an incredibly challenging situation. You're, you're receiving the baton from, a legendary leader, and now this happens, and your transition gets moved up as a result of some of this that's happened. You know that that three-year overlap with Bill there all of a sudden disappeared. I mean, what was going on in your mind during those days? I mean, it was just all so sad. It's probably the best way to describe it. I mean, when the last time Bill was on that stage, um, I mean, I was on vacation with my family at Disney World. And basically got word, you know, hey, Bill's going to, you know, resign or retire early, depending on, you know, who you're talking to and we're going to do a service. And and I was like, oh, man. And so I'm leaving my family. You know, this has kind of been a crazy run. This is like our spring break week together and and getting on a plane and flying there. And I'm sitting in the service and and you're, and you're just you're listening to couple of people share and then um bill shares and then um, i go up to pray and um, pray over the family and just pray for our church and 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 then he exits the stage and two things that just marked me in that moment number one is 
you know, like most, most churches, you know, the pastor has like a, 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 you know, the team have a little bullpen, you know, and so that's a willow, we called it the bullpen. And, and I looked down at the bullpen and he was just walking and this whole family were walking out of the auditorium. And, and in that moment, it like hit me 42 years and he's walking out like this. And then someone, someone tweeted out like Carter looked like a deer you know, staring at headlights. And I did because it was just all hitting me. And the fact of um, what you've built can be gone like that. Then I felt this sense of a mantle, like these are your people. So lead them. And you just felt it. Like you literally felt it. And I, I didn't leave that night. I mean, I, I, I got done. And I stayed till every person was out of the auditorium and people were weeping. People were crying. People didn't know everything. And I didn't even know everything. I mean, I, I was catching up, you know, to, to stuff. And I, I, just, I did not. But I just sat there um, and, and was sad. I mean, I was sad for the women. I was sad for our church. I was sad for the family, I was sad for the congregation, I was sad for the staff. I, 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 this was not <laughs> how I thought it was going to go, right? So, I, you know, when we started the succession plan, this wasn't on the radar. So my overarching feeling about it was it just was sad, you know. Um, and that that really hasn't changed. It's sad for... Um, what those women have had to experience and what has been said about them. Um, and it's sad for what the congregation and the staff have had to endure. It's sad. It's sad for um, every single person involved. It's sad for the kingdom. Yeah. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just, um, it's not what what you would hope for. And, and, I, and I think it, it, it just, it really began to, to do something in me um, because my, my first mentor, Hal, I mean, he was, he was amazing. Um, he, he unfortunately died a few years ago on a motorcycle accident and, um, and, uh, and there were so many, so many nights and so many mornings I would just walk and I literally would just, you know, kind of cry out like, how, like what, what, what should I do? You know, and, and he and I used to talk at least once a week. He was so helpful, so wise. And what was amazing is um, the gift of a mentor is you remember what they said. And I remembered like, oh, like he prepared me for this. Like God, God gave me a person who taught me what really, really matters. And so there were these phrases, these statements that I held on to as I would walk and it would be like the spirit would just remind me of a verse that he would preach all the time or a, a, a word on integrity. Um, and I, I just I, mm. I re remembered that. And um, that became pretty, pretty important for me. So let's talk about the humanity involved in this because the main source that I've followed the story on is Twitter mm -hmm. and all the things that are being said to everyone. And 
the sadness and the grief that you mentioned, there's, there's victims, there's people on every side of this, and there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of hurt. And what were you thinking and feeling as this all began to unfold for you? And how aware were you of things being said about you on both sides? And then for the victims, how were you feeling about I mean, what was going on in your mind about the hurt that they were going through as well? I think early on, I was thinking about the congregation, um, just trying to figure out um, how do you pastor and lead through this? And then then I was thinking through, this is my mentor, having to overcome a little bit of that shock, um, close to that family. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I almost needed to, the space because you're 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 in this 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 moment of time where you feel like all of this decisions are being made and it's, it's why it's so important for leaders to like have some space just to get away and be with the lord get away and get some clarity get away and figure out like okay wait wait wait, wait. is this like me trying to protect me is this me trying to preserve an institution? Is this me doing the right thing? Is that like all that stuff just gets kind of entangled, right? And you think you're doing the right thing, but sometimes you're just trying to protect your own image or you're trying to preserve something. And I, I think for me, I needed to step away and just simply go, because I, I don't believe everything is dualistic, you know? I think we we raise people on Star Wars theology, right? There's a good side and there's a bad side. And and there are people who who look at the scenario and they go, it's just right or wrong. I I probably think more of a third way. Like what what what's the third way? What 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 Jesus, what are you trying to do in this situation? And that's that's where I began to realize this isn't about sides. This is about getting to truth. And I found myself just starting to reach out to John Orberg and the women and slowly just try to say, okay, help me understand. Help me understand. And um, I don't know everything. And, and I'm sorry for some of the things that my presence or the statements that I made, things that I did um, early on, because I didn't, one, I could say I didn't know, but I... I was young and I was working to try and figure this thing out. I mean, literally, if you went to my basement, my basement looked like scandal. It was like Olivia Pope style. Like I was trying to figure everything out. Mm. So I knew people were saying things on Twitter and there were days where I was on it and there were days that I wasn't on it. I knew people had their thoughts. Deep down, I just I wanted to hear from the people whose stories um, and the hurt that they had expressed. I wanted to hear from them and to learn from them and to help kind of shape what I felt would lead us to the greater truth. I thought a lot about truth in the last few months and even years. It's a hard thing to to face sometimes, and I've looked at the the patience and the wisdom of God as he's revealed truth in my own life about myself and the insecurities, the fears, the sin, and I've realized how God 
sometimes, and I think many times, slowly peels that back. Yeah. It's, it would be too much for us to see all at once. It's just too overwhelming. And, and, and watching you as your friend, as this un, has unfolded, I knew that you would put yourself in a posture and position of listening, which you mm-hmm. did, which is a great model for those of us that have been tracking with you. And whether we know you or, or don't know you, um, I would say to everyone listening that, that Steve's example of just doing the best you can with what you knew at the time mm. and knowing your heart. And you've said, maybe I didn't do everything perfect, but with what you knew at the time. And, you know, there's that old quote, to know all is to forgive all. Mm-hmm. The idea that, well, if you knew everything that this person knew at that time, what truth was revealed to them, you'd be able to understand and forgive yeah. what, what you might perceive or misperceive in them. And I think even your statement of as leaders having that space to process some of these things because we are so reactionary Mm -hmm. and something comes up and you may react and say something that you didn't think through and then it starts leading you towards uh, a thought that you aren't really behind, but that's because you haven't had the space for yourself to Mm -hmm. think through some of this, process some of this. And so as leaders, we... We need that that silence to also hear from God, that whisper from Him going, this is where I'm nudging you towards. But sometimes we're so caught up in, in the actual moment that we're, we're just reacting to people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're just trying to cater to that instead of being confident in where you're supposed to yeah. lead. Well, I think that's a, you know, if I think about the, some of the greater truths that you know, I've, I've learned through all of this. One is, you know, and it's amazing how, you know, this is such a teacher thing, but as, as I was going through the season, I was driving in downtown Chicago and I hit a pothole and literally knew like, ah, oh, I got a flat tire. And I pulled the car over and, and I'd heard that if you dialed like 311 in Chicago, if someone had reported the pothole and they hadn't cleaned it up and fixed it, then literally you could, um, have the city pay for your damaged wheel. And so I was like, ah, maybe this will happen. It didn't. But I started getting really curious. I'm like, how many potholes are there? And so I started doing some research and found out from January 1st, 2018 to March 21st, 2018. Do you know how many potholes the city of Chicago filled in? Um, 42,000. 42,000. Close. 190,000. Very close. What? A hundred, and that was only less than 90 days. 190,000. Literally, if you... If you That's go, what they'd filled. They'd filled. Literally, if you go to the city of Chicago's website, they've got a pothole tracker <laughs> to show their work. Whoa. So, wow. So, so here's what they do. They, they drive up. They see the pothole. They inspect it. They add asphalt to it. Clean it up. Move on to the next one. 190,000. But there are other potholes that they come to and they realize this wasn't caused by inclement weather, you know, water freezing, stretching the asphalt. They realize, oh, there's something underneath that's causing this, like a a leaky sewage pipe. And if they don't deal with that pothole and they don't deal with the thing beneath the thing, that pothole will quickly become a sinkhole. And and all of a sudden, like I started to realize this. A couple years ago, 72-year-old guy was driving, had the ride of his life, like went into the sinkhole. Whoa. And he was totally fine, but it, literally the, th- the ground gave way. 
And I, I think God was like kind enough to begin to just show me, you have potholes, Steve. And if you don't deal with those potholes well and you don't deal with the trauma and the pain and the struggle, those potholes can become sinkholes. And the, and the crazy thing is it never just affects you. Mm-hmm. It always affects other people. Literally, that's the stuff I've been trying to, to work on and just see in my own life. Like what, what, what causes me to do this or what made me want this? And I think God is constantly in that redemption, repentant business of inviting us to say, hey, let me heal you. You know, in a word that we don't like to use is sanctify. You know, it's two words, to make holy, to make us whole, uh, to heal, um, to set us apart. And there's been something in this season that just watching, going to experience that in me. And again, there's a number of things that people can start talking about other people. For me, it's this is what it's provoked in me, you know know your stuff. You know, if you're a youth leader, know your story. If there's pain in your story, know it, work at it, you know, allow that, that spirit to heal because God's so kind. He's just going to keep providing you opportunities to deal with it in hopes that you don't hurt others because of the, the potholes or the sinkholes that are in your story. And so that's been one of those truths that I feel like flat tire, but God did something beautiful in it. What voices are you listening to? I'm curious. You've got thousands of voices of criticism of of correction that are saying Steve you should do this you should do this you've got a public side you've got a private side what voices are you listening to as you're as you're learning there's a lot of people who kind of listen to everyone right and so they're just try to they they have a pleaser mentality one of my mentors said early on hey if if you want to be a pastor, then you have to understand that you're first and foremost um, not going to meet everybody's expectations. So if you're trying to meet everybody's expectations, you're in the wrong business. And two, you will be somebody's heretic. So you, you're going to let people down and people aren't going to agree with you. So you've got to learn how to deal with that. It doesn't mean that you try to be a heretic, but just know that there are going to be people that your hermeneutic is different and they're going to say things. So I think I, I carry that with me to say my job is to live my life for an audience of one. Um, and my job is to, to live with integrity, to um, continue to build trust with the people that I lead and serve. And, and I'm not saying I always do that. I'm tr- I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but secondly, who are the people you're giving permission to speak into your life? And are they people who only agree with you? Are they people who only encourage you? So for me, there's just, um, there are key mentors and voices right now. And some of them are just like pastoral because um, this was traumatic on so many fronts. And then some of them, honestly, I'm trying to learn from everything that transpired. Like, how could I have right away dealt with this? How could I have handled this better right away. And so learning from people who actually are saying, hey, when something comes, this is the best way for a pastor or an elder board to handle. Like, I, I want to learn that because people are asking me. And now I'm like, okay, we got we to gotta, we gotta do something about this. So there's a pastoral side. There's a, a learning side. There's a cultural side of some people that I'm just learning from. 
Um, but it's people don't give permission to the person on Twitter with 19 followers. Like they can, they can say, um, what they need to say. And, um, probably some of it I would agree with, but my life isn't to try and appease them. My, my job is to listen and bring honor and glory to Christ and to steward the gifts he's given to me well and the unique places that he's asked me to serve in that space well and be faithful there. So there are good days and there are bad days, you know. And so that's kind of the interesting part now is I had friends who were moving to all different parts of the country. And part of my own potholes was where's God going to take us? You know, like what 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 cool neighborhood is God going to take us to? What what amazing city are we going to go to? And I just realized, I think there was a part of me that wanted to escape, escape the sadness. And I woke up one morning and I mean, you guys get this. I mean, Jeff, you and I have had so many conversations about just the spirit and those, those moments where God gives you visions and just power prayer. And, but I felt like the spirit just impressed upon me, go to the desert and wait for instructions. And I, I thought, I don't know what the desert, man. I didn't, I thought, I thought it was more metaphorical. Like, I was like, maybe it's going to be like Tulsa. And I'm like, I know some people in Tulsa, you know. Um, I just started thinking, you know. But as I started to pray into it, I felt like it was getting pretty clear. Like, I want you to go somewhere where you don't have any hookups. I, I, I want you to go to a place where you can have to sit in this. I want you to go to a place where you can grieve, breathe, and receive. And I realized every situation different from aspirational, which you asked earlier, I am an achiever. Like my coach gives me a goal. I'm going to crush it. Like I, that's just who I am. I am, I'm going to exceed expectations. But in this situation, I, I couldn't achieve my way out of this. Um, felt like God was inviting me and teaching me and telling me I could only grieve my way through it. And I didn't know how to do it. And so the next morning, my wife wakes up, and we're making coffee and talking. And I said, hey, I just have this strong like sense. Like, go to the desert. Wait for instructions. And she tears up, and she just said, like, I feel like God's been saying the same thing, that we need to go home. And I was like, what? And she's from Arizona. And so I was like, oh, the literal desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so um, so we moved there. And I, hmm. I spend the weekends teaching at different churches and being with people. And um, during the week, I... I'm just healing. I'm hiking. I'm reading books on desert fathers and desert mothers and desert spirituality. And I'm just trying to heal and listen and discern to understand how did all this happen? What do I need to learn? What do I need to receive? How do I heal up? And then figure out what the next kingdom assignment is. Um, Cause I love the church. I love Jesus. I love making disciples and I love preaching. And I, I none of that is out for negotiation. But I also know that there are seasons in our lives where we experience a, a sense of betrayal or a sense of hurt or a sense of trauma that we can bypass, but it will catch up to us. Mm. Um, and I just, I just, for the sake of the longevity of ministry, I just want to make sure that the next season I step into, there's those potholes have been, or those sinkholes have been dealt with. So That's what I love about you so much is that, attitude of overcoming obstacles it's interesting as we're sitting here right when you're saying that last night we were downtown grand rapids for a conference here in town and we sat down with a couple youth workers friends he's a youth pastor and 
and his wife, and we're good friends with them, and they went through a really tough transition. And, you know, I don't want to compare one to the other. You can't. But we kind of walked them through that. And, you know, I said to them what I've said to so many leaders that, especially younger leaders, you go into it with these with these big dreams and you're going to change the world. And then something damaging happens. Hmm. And as you know, many of our friends, they've they've left. They've jettisoned the work that I believe. And probably they would even admit that God's called them to do. And what I said to them was I said, thank you. Because they they did they've done such a great job in walking through this, and I said, you overcame someone who made a mistake that hurt you, intentional or not. It's not worth discussing, but you didn't allow someone maybe with a, a misunderstanding of you or a or a smaller leadership mentality. You didn't let them derail you from what God has called you to do, and that's for me the thing I grieve over is people that have been through situations. And if you've been in ministry leadership, whether you're a volunteer or you're paid or whatever, if you've been in it long enough, you've been through some crap. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you've been grieving, but you're knocked down, but you're not out. Mm-hmm. And I and I think I just want everyone hearing this to, to understand that about Steve. You'd have every reason in the world to say, God, I didn't sign up for this and I'm out. Not that you're not following it, but I don't want to lead any more messy situations. And yet, you've said, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to continue to serve the audience of one. And I just want to say, I just felt prompted to say this now, people listening, that you may, you may feel like, well, I got, a, I got a terrible raw deal, and it's not my fault. And, and I would say to you listening, don't let that person distract you or that situation or whatever it is or that group from what God's called you to do. It's greater than that. And yeah. And we lose sight of that. We we put our eyes on the situation. We forget the calling. We forget the God that we're serving. I think that's such a great word, Jeff. And, and there's probably three things I held on to. One, in a situation where you might feel like your back is up against a wall, look to people who have more courage than you. I started to listen and get to know the stories of these women. And I just was like what do they have to gain from any of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so you know, there's other people I started to listen to, and I was like, there's courage there, right? So try to almost learn what they have and kind of go, why were they able to stay? How were they able to change adversity into opportunity? Like, what, what, what was it in them, that convictions of steel, like, you know, um, Thessalonians talks about, like, how do they have that? The second thing I... I always think about is connect yourself with people whose stories are actually worse because at the end of the day, it can always be worse. And so I look at situations where people have experienced profound levels of trauma and still had the courage to do the right thing. I go, and that was worse. And not that you can do a comparison game, but that's literally what I, Mm -hmm. I just started looking around going, I'm not the only one. Their story's worse. Look at their faith in Jesus. And I, I want that. That just became a model. Mm-hmm. And then third, I looked at the text and I look, you know, look at the life of Christ. And there's so many stories I could pull from him, you know, especially just walking towards Calvary and the cross. But then I also look at like Paul, you know, and he's saying in Philippians, mm-hmm. he's like, I'm in chains and the gospel is advancing. Wait, what? Like you should be, the gospel should be hindered. And literally what I learned from that is 
No situation or circumstance or event is going to dictate how he acts, thinks, and feels about his identity in Christ or the mission that's at hand. And so for me, there was like the sense of, I'm not going to allow good and the beauty and the goodness of Christ and God to be in any way, shape, or form held back or hindered. We're going to advance. We're going to advance for good. That's one of the reasons why I am teaching still on the weekend, because I heal into the week, teaching on the weekend. I feel like the church world is going through a holy shaking because of power and because of abuse. I think there's a purity that's coming, a purity heart yes. that's coming. Yes. And it, 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 mm-hmm. it's showcasing to us leaders, like you can't bypass some of this stuff. And it's going to take more incredible women, more incredible men, more diversity, uh, more just profound display of the gifts that God has given to all of us to continue to be advocates and compelling forces for kingdom good. And so that's what I get super excited about. And so I kind of look, where's that courage? Where could it be worse? And then I have a choice. Yeah. I want to lean into the people who by faith have done it and done it really, really well. Would you be willing to speak into the integrity that is necessary in ministry, even in the smallest of things? So go back to my mentor, Hal, you know, he would always say, the only thing that you spend days, months, years, decades building and can lose in seconds is your integrity. And your integrity is everything. So how do you protect that at all costs? Every time you teach and every time you, you lead and every meeting that you're in, is a chance to build that integrity or a chance to lose it. Here's the, here's the thing. Every, every, every one of us leaders, we're in process. I think it's Billy Graham's wife. Her, her tombstone says, construction completed. Thanks for your patience. You know, it's just genius. So here's the truth. Every one of us are in process. So be kind to yourself. As my counselor always says, be kind to yourself. And you are a grown adult who is a pastor, and a leader. So you have responsibilities, right? So, so we're in process, and we have responsibility. We don't have it all together, and yet we have the responsibility to make the kind of decisions that are going to build our integrity and get healing and wholeness so that we can hand our kids or the students that we lead or the volunteers that have been entrusted to us or the congregation, we can prepare them to be better than we ever were. Uh, my dad, he's not doing too well. He, you know, he, and actually today is the 12th year anniversary of him getting diagnosed with leukemia. And so, you know, before coming over here it was with him, you know, and he, and he said something to me, he said, as I look back at my life and realizing kind of the beauty of the gospel, it's, he said, what I'm realizing is it, it's a beautiful thing to be a father and to see that the son is greater. Hmm. And he said, Steve, all of the ministry that you've been able to do, your real ministry is to, to help your kids be greater than, than you. So what are you doing to help Emerson and to help Mercy be farther along emotionally and spiritually and mentally than you were? And I was like, man, you know? And so again, it just plays into kind of this, this, this truth that I'm learning. So again, 
all of us have potholes. All of us are in process. All of us have responsibility. Our goal is to please only Christ. Our goal is to have integrity. Our goal is to hand off a better baton than we were handed. So how do we do it? And I think you do it through mentors. And I I just, I hope that every person listening would have some incredible women and men in their life from different walks of life, different um, cultures of life that can just, that you actually surrender permission and say, speak into my life and that you can be honest and human with. I even think when you mentioned seek mentors, when I was called into youth ministry in college, my senior year of college, uh, I remember driving home to Grand Rapids. I was going to Michigan State at the time and walked right into Jeff Eckert's Mm. office. And I said, I don't know what this calling means, but I know that I want you to mentor me in this youth ministry. And now I have the privilege of sitting across the table from him and uh, do this work together. And uh, how I would not have envisioned that at the time, but how important it has been in my walk and in my journey and to have somebody to look up to and say, all right, he's doing it right. Yeah. And, and so the encouragement to find somebody who you can walk with that you are really close to, to see how they step and handle the things that life brings naturally. Yeah. And like you said, you may not have signed up for it, but you stood there and go, how, how do I lead yeah. as if I had signed up for this? Well, Steve, it has been an honor and it's been great to have you join us in the studio. Uh, we we thank you so tremendously for your time Thanks. and your story and just the encouragement of who you are. Mm. Um, you you encourage us here, and we we thank you. Well, I love what you guys are doing. Seriously, I mean, the stuff that you're doing on Claim Your Campus, the camps, never the same. Like I said, I've been a part of it. Just a big fan of it. And, Seriously, if you listen to this and you've never like brought your students, never the same. Like, check it out. It's a it's a fantastic camp, and um, really really love what you guys are about. And any ways that I can serve, just let me know. Um, you got a fan in Arizona, the desert. <laughs> so take awesome. care. Thank you. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Hey friends, this is Elle and Kenny Campbell from StuffYouCanUse.org and GrowCurriculum.org, and we are super, super excited for Claim Your Campus 2020. One of the most exciting parts for us is we love collaborating with you guys. You're praying in schools, you're mobilizing teenagers and adults to represent Christ everywhere they go, and we're excited to meet you at CYC 2020, July 4th. We're excited. We'll see you guys there. Bye-bye. Now, what we've been doing lately is adding a little bonus segment to our each of our podcast episodes. So if you're listening to this, you're going to catch some information about something that we're really excited about here. Our organization is called Never the Same. We're a national youth ministry organization. Part of what we do is something called Claim Your Campus, where we're uniting and equipping students to lead student-led prayer groups at middle and high schools across America. And that's called Claim Your Campus. A commitment from a student is to meet weekly at their school. One of the exciting things, Jason, we've been working on is an event to help catalyze 
the eventual is catalyze a word. You just made it a word. I guess I did. I know where that uh, base of the word is coming from. Catalyst. Yes. So I'll just say to be a catalyst. Yes. How's that? This bonus segment's raw, so not, we're not editing Not to out. mistake with cattle eyes. Oh, like the eyes of cattle. Of, yeah, exactly. So to be a catalyst, this event that we're talking about here in a second is, is an event to be a catalyst towards our overall vision of a student-led prayer group at every middle and high school in America. And that's something that we've been dreaming about, we've been working on. We use mobile app technology that students use to, to help them as they pray at school. And if you're interested in that, you can download that for free on any of your app stores. You just look up Claim Your Campus. You can find that. But Claim Your Campus 2020 is this event that's going to happen on July 4th weekend in the year 2020. And that event will gather students from 10,000 schools gathered together for a weekend in a music festival type event and atmosphere, an outdoor two-night, three-day event over July 4th weekend 2020 in the middle of the country in Kansas on a piece of property that can literally hold the kind of numbers we're talking about, which could be upwards of 100,000 or over. And we'll be equipping students, we'll be inspiring and equipping them to show and share Jesus at their school campus. So in three ways, knowing how to participate in a weekly prayer group at their school through Claim Your Campus, knowing how to verbally share their faith, and then doing something tangible to serve on their campus. Those three takeaways are what every student will walk away from Claim Your Campus 2020 with. And we're excited about the opportunity as we draw near to this date to invite people into this amazing event. And we're partnered and collaborating with over 60 organizations all across the country, all the way from things like the National Day of Prayer to the National Network of Youth Ministry to Moms in Prayer to, to, to other youth ministry organizations uh, from around the country that are excited and collaborating with us to make this happen. We're simply hosting this event. But for you and as an adult, you can get involved. In fact, adults are a key part of the process of this event because in order for students to be able to attend, they need an adult advocate that will represent their school. And an adult advocate registers their school, prays for it, and then networks and invites other people to join and to go as well. So go to ClaimYourCampus2020.com. There's information on there. That's ClaimYourCampus2020.com. You can also go on Facebook and go to Claim Your Campus Advocates. That's a group that's on Facebook. You can join and you can learn what it means to be an advocate in real time. And we're always coaching and sharing updates and things that are happening for Claim Your Campus 2020. So those two things, go to the website, ClaimYourCampus2020.com. Go to Facebook and check out the Claim Your Campus Advocates group page and get involved in this event that will be historic in what we believe that God's going to do as a result. Jeff, did you tell him what year it was going to be held at? Uh, I think it was 2020. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if you told them. 2020. Just, just make sure that you tell them that. Got it. <laughs>